Hi, Mike listeners. It's NYC by Design's Executive Director, Alyssa Black here. This past May, as part of the 10-year anniversary of the NYC by Design Festival, we teamed up with our friends at the Kohler Experience Center by Best Plumbing Supply to present The Responsibility of Design, a special live recording of three Mike episodes exploring topics of design for environment, well-being, and community. Hosted by our very own Mike host, Debbie Millman, in the Collar Experience Centre. These conversations presented striking discussions about design in its many forms and how it can be a tool for the greater good. The first episode, Design for Environment, featured guests Claire Weiss, founding principal at WXY, Jonathan Cropper, managing partner and founder at FutureLogic, and Laura Kohler, SVP of HR Stewardship and Sustainability at Kohler Co. Without further ado, let's dive in. From NYC by Design, this is The Mike, a podcast that offers an inside look into New York City's most creative minds. I'm your host, Debbie Millman. From projects to products, inspirations, and more, join us each episode as I talk to members of New York City's design community, about what makes design so outstanding. Today, we are live at the Kohler Experience Center by Best Plumbing Supply for a very special edition of The Mic on the theme of responsibility of design in honor of NYC by Design's 10th anniversary festival happening now through May 20th all across New York City. I'm currently joined by an expert panel of speakers to look at what it means to design for the environment. Over the next half hour, we'll look at how we can design in public spaces, homes, and community gathering spaces to ensure the health of the earth and people. We'll explore how sustainable products are being designed and used. And we'll ask, how can we reimagine and reinvigorate conversations around sustainability to lead radical and swift change. My first guest is a returning guest, Claire Wise, founding principal of WXY Architecture and Urban Design, a studio globally renowned for their work around resiliency and public space. WXY has received the League Prize from the Architecture League of New York, as well as being selected as one of the League's Emerging Voices in 2011, in addition to numerous awards from AIA National, AI New York, and the American Planning Association. In 2019, Claire joined the Board of Directors at Plus Pool, a plus-shaped water filtering floating swimming pool designed to filter the very river that it floats in. Hello, Claire. Welcome back. Also with us is Jonathan Cropper, the founder of Future Logic Design and Branding Studio. Brand Week Magazine designated Jonathan one of the best marketers in America for his work at the intersection of innovation, branding, and product excellence. He has worked for and represented some of the most creative and boundary-pushing companies, which included a stint as chief marketing officer for Bad Boy Worldwide Entertainment Group, Sean Combs' collection of companies. We'll touch on that ever so slightly. 
The current focuses of Future Logic include future of home living, future of food, luxury 3.0, post-COVID social impact entrepreneurship, and immersive interactive content development. Jonathan believes that luxury space is a driver of innovation and that small numbers of people invest in and drive the future. We are also so pleased to be joined by Laura Kohler, the Senior Vice President of HR Stewardship and Sustainability at the Kohler Company. Laura has been on the Board of Directors at Kohler since 1999, and she oversees the company's worldwide human resources and environmental sustainability, DEI, and social impact programs. She also oversees Kohler's renowned arts industry program. And last year, Laura was named a finalist by Fast Company as Innovative Leader of the Year. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. So it is just an honor to have the three of you here today to discuss such an important and pressing topic in the field of design and innovation. And I want to launch right into the conversation as there's so much to cover. I'm going to start with a question for each of you to answer however you see fit. What does sustainability mean to your day-to-day -day work? and practices across design, innovation, and stewardship. Claire, you first. Always the hard questions first. As Sorry. I'm sitting in front of a light fixture that's a globe of water. <laughs> and I love that in terms of my CV was being associated with what will be the largest plumbing fixture in the world if we pull it off at Plus Pool. But it gets down to that too. I think from an everyday life point of view, for me, it's all about waste, not want not, but it's really all about waste. And the, during the pandemic, we as a firm decided that we had to take a position on waste. And as the kind of core bottom line that we each can do and the city of New York can do, we did this campaign called Putting Waste to Work, which was very basic which is you got to compost. Anyone here compost? Okay, it's the a most amazing thing. This is my like daily thing. So I get to compost now because I'm now committed to it. When you compost, your garbage is so light, the rest of it, it turns out. And then it leads you to these other things. If you compost, someone's making soil and you're, and therefore, Climate, doing something about climate is very direct. So my answer is a little bit like putting waste to work is a design problem. Like it's a design problem to explain to people that this is actually easy. And then when we were designing our office we just moved into, we got to figure out how do we make it, since we're not giving anyone garbage cans in their office, how do we make our own in-office strategy so that people know trash is here, recyclables are here, green is here, compost there, but make it part of the design. So that took us weeks, but we now have a relationship. Paul in our office actually found the perfect green off eBay, got some old garbage, beautiful, those beautiful wire cans and made them the perfect green for, because we compost paper towels in New York, by the way, for all of you that compost. And that's where it all starts for me, sustainability, which is 
how do we design very direct things into our daily life? Because after that gets way bigger. Wind turbines off the coast of, of New York, which I think is the future, and then everything else. But it starts with waste is our biggest resource, mm -hmm. including water, air. Jonathan, what about you? What are you seeing as the biggest and most important innovations in sustainability right now? From my perspective, I like to think about sustainability not as an environmental concept, but as a life system. Um, I spent the last four years as the head of partnerships and chief innovation officer at Aston Martin. We build supercars. We are not building sustainable electric vehicles. Soon we will be. But we build the most beautiful objects that travel at high speed and are designed to unleash your inner superhero. Yeah. And in a very elegant and beautiful way. But for me, it really, when our culture went under attack, I called it the triple pandemic. There were three pandemics that occurred at the same time. The first one was a biological pandemic. The second one was a cultural pandemic, this idea of divisiveness driven by strange political weirdo stuff, we'll call it. And then the third um, was environmental, where we were seeing for the first time people actually acknowledging like, oh my goodness, no water, fires, landslides, like, all these things happening. Texas freezing over last year was a big one. That was an eye opener for a lot of people. Wow, the triple pandemic all occurred. We need to design a whole new sustainable life system that's not just about product design that protects our planet, but product design that protects our well-being. And so that's a little bit into your next panel on the health and wellness and well-being component of design. That's where we started. And so when we began uh, this new adventure, how to design the most sustainable home ever conceived, we started thinking about what is the most advanced home ever built. Anyone have any ideas? What's the most advanced sustainable home ever conceived in the history of humanity? Yeah, I did. It's the International Space Station. That is the most ridiculously advanced sustainable home ever conceived. It's been in operation for two decades. It generates its own power. It recycles all the water. Human waste is recycled into energy. It's mind bending, the thinking that goes on there. And so we, and that's why I'm representing my NASA stuff today. I was like, we went to them and said, let's think about how do we bring that level of thinking down to planet Earth and democratize it? And so we're in the process of dreaming and designing um, alongside Zaha Hadid architects and the, the team that designed the space station, Jet Propulsion Lab at Caltech, et cetera. How do we do this? So that's a little bit of a long-winded answer, but that's the, f the first frame of, of this concept. I think that the way that we build homes today is ridiculous. We stick build, cut trees down, and we're still stick building homes, but they certainly, and home building and our large form architecture represent a lion's share of carbon emissions and so on in, into the environment. So if we can dream about and, and take a science fiction-like mindset to it and not be afraid to uh, dream outside of normal, I think that's a big part of how we can help to push the, the culture forward. The last point I wanted to make is that uh, the luxury segment um, 
is a driver of innovation. For me, it started uh, 15 years ago when I went to the Bugatti Veyron headquarters in Molsheim, France. That's a $3 million, ridiculous, crazy, what we call hypercar. But the technology on that vehicle 10 years ago is now on the basic Volkswagen Passat. Braking systems and all that technology, 300 high net worth individuals bought that vehicle and it basically functioned as a research and development lab for the broader Volkswagen group. And so I believe fundamentally that part of our solutions to help save the planet and create a more holistic, centered, sustainable life, not just from an environmental perspective, revolves around developing ideas that are absolutely outlandish and crazy expensive at the beginning, but will become affordable over time. That's a cycle of innovation. And so I think that's a big part of how we're thinking about all this. Laura, what about you? I know that you have a lot of thoughts about this topic specifically. So can you share with us what sustainability means to your day-to-day work at a company like Kohler? Yes. So sustainability is really part of our day-to-day thinking. We make decisions based on better planet and better lives specifically. We have created a methodology called design for environment, which means the engineering and industrial designers come together. And by January of 2024, 100% of our kitchen and bath products will go through the methodology of design for environment, which is really a whole cycle steps that we go through and then certification on that product. We're pretty proud of that work. 30% of our products are by 24. 30 will be positive by design, which is means that we'll take the DFE methodology and follow it all the way through manufacture. We've created Innovation for Good, which is an innovation incubator. We believe in the power of our people. We've activated our associates to come up with ideas through the iPrize event, Global iPrize, which is innovating for areas of the world that are touched by the biggest sustainable development issues in the world. So think water, think power think food and our people actually love our associates love to get involved in those ideas so we're innovating a container-based sanitation solution so for areas of the world that don't have access to sewered water we have water filtration we have helped refugee camps with blended power solutions many times refugee camps are their water source is powered by a generator and solar and we've created a monitoring so, so that you can actually transition when the sun goes down the solar array transitions to the generator and that can be monitored from a distance instead of relying on a human to turn one off and turn one on so those all came from innovation for good which is beyond the day job of our associates and then there's waste lab which some of you this beautiful tile that's a hundred percent recycled product abstra was just launched we sell it through ann Sachs, but we also will sell it through kohler And all of those things are really, again, harness the power of our innovation, creativity of our teams, and was not part of anyone's day job. So I really think that is part of how sustainability is going to get traction if everyone is activated, so to speak. Everybody can make a difference. And now let's hear a brief message from our supporter, the Kohler Experience Center by Best Plumbing Supply. So thank you for tuning into our discussion about the responsibility of design. I'm Laura Kohler, and I know 
that as a major lifestyle brand, it is our responsibility to manufacture our products in a way that reduces energy, water use, and waste without compromising on design, engineering, and performance. And that's why we use Design for Environment, a methodology to design products that reduce our footprint during the manufacturing process and deliver products that are more environmentally friendly, like our statement VES Showerhead, a great showering experience using only 1.5 gallons of water per minute and has the ability to adjust flow down to 0.5 GPM pause. All of our water-saving showering products are available at the Kohler Experience Center located in the Flatiron District. So I'm going to go off script because I think this is such an important topic, this whole notion of activation, as well as how to be able to engage the population to help activate as opposed to just people that can afford to activate. So for many years, I worked with a paper company and the paper company was making paper towels, toilet paper, and so forth. And this company was particularly interested in how to reduce waste. How can we reduce household waste to a point where it is materials that are only being recycled? And we found that when we spoke to consumers in small qualitative focus groups, they always said, oh yes, we definitely want recycled paper. We definitely want to protect the planet. We definitely want to do good. But when it came time to actually pick the toilet paper that they wanted at the shelves in the supermarket, when they were by themselves, not being recorded, not being observed, they picked the bleached white, very soft, very fluffy toilet paper not thinking that they could make a difference. When in fact, if every household in the United States bought recycled paper, instead of the white bleached fluffy paper, we would be able to do a lot in terms of sustainability. So how do you engage the larger population that maybe doesn't want to spend a little bit extra to get the recycled paper, doesn't necessarily have the money to be able to get the recycled tiles? How do we get the population more engaged, I can open to on. anyone. I'll jump on it. I'm jumping on that one. It, it was 2003. We were talking about Brand Week, and they were they named me this marketing guy. It was based on this one idea that the best brands in the world out teach versus outsell, mm -hmm. and that if we, as marketers or whatever products or services that we're involved in, that we're not actually selling. We're in the business of educating. And so I started my career in film and television, actually, at MTV, launching channels around the world. And I'll never forget living in South Africa around the time that Mandela was elected. And we were trying to introduce this American idea to, to the continent. And they were not going to allow us entry into the country. They said that imagery of young people and expensive cars and all that bling isn't what we need, but we got a lot of problems to, see, to solve. And I, I went back and said, well, what if we take a half of the channel time and make it educational content that is cool, but useful, news you can use. And I believe that one of the ways that we as a culture will help to drive this narrative forward is by leveraging our pop cultural storytelling skills to make sustainability sexy. 
mm-hmm. and that might be through music, that might be through television content, who, to be determined. But I think that we have to out-teach versus out-sell when it comes to popularizing the notion of this kind of still more uh, kind of amorphous term of sustainability. So I, I think that really relates to links the fact that there's two levers here making things desirable and then making them possible. And I have two examples of that. So New York City had some big choices. I can't even remember, in the 90s, I think. Build a new sewage treatment plant or, okay, everyone has a guess what it is, or replace every toilet in New York City because we had these big flush valves that were at least four liters, two toilets that used half of that and convince people that their major flush toilets actually could be replaced. So how did they do that? And they didn't actually know how to do it. And there, some, there must have been a genius, seriously, in City Hall, who basically said, okay, this is not about convincing people because who wants to spend money replacing a toilet they love, okay? It's about actually figuring a way to spend public money that unleashes the private market. Guess what? They paid for every single toilet, but they paid plumbers. So every plumber was about to get a huge amount of work, and they did. They got paid, and they got free toilets, and it was guaranteed work. And within a very short amount of time, almost every single toilet in New York City was replaced. And so really, I'm a strong believer in in now you can get toilets that heat, do all sorts of things. You could not have done that with one of those old toilets. And in a lot of ways, people's awareness of water, now we could move that on to maybe we shouldn't flush our toilets with drinking water, a new topic. We could, but like, how are we going to, you make something really desirable, which Jonathan is gonna make happen, but that still doesn't answer for someone who may not have the money, how do you help that? So I think there's, a, there's really both. Both levers have to be pulled. Yeah, and, and as the design manufacturer, we, our job is to have amazing aesthetic, amazing function, and bring the price down so that it's, there's, the price isn't driving you away from something, the aesthetic isn't driving you away. You can make a sustainable choice with this product and it is as good or better because it's sustainable as the competitive product. So that's the challenge for our designers and our engineers is to figure out how to bring the cost out, keep the function and the aesthetic as high as possible, and then make it affordable, different price points so that everyone can cho- can make sustainable choices. So you talked a little bit in your first answer, Laura, about this notion of net positive, a net positive future. So I, I would like for you to help us understand what that means, what Kohler's hope and plan for that is, and what you think is possible for all companies to adhere to something that is net positive. So we have a goal of being net, net zero by 2035. When you're net positive, you actually give back. So I'll give everybody an example. So we manufacture in 55 areas of the world. We have areas that we manufacture in that could be water distressed. Parts of the world that are losing their water because of climate change and a lot of other things that are happening. 
we are going to we are in the process of targeting at least six of those locations and figuring out how we give back water to those areas, those environs around our facilities so that why it keeps our manufacturing facilities sustainable. It keeps the communities thriving that are really delivering people that work in our facilities and, and it actually helps everyone thrive. And that's a net positive action that we're taking. Looking at the life cycle of products, reclaiming products if possible. Um, I, I heard a story this morning about a, a New York City building where all the toilets were pulled out, crushed, and were selling the, the call for roadbeds. Those are all things that companies have to go the extra step to really create that net positive impact. So I have a, a question for all of you, because I want to know more about what types of expectations we should have around the timeline for this type of innovation. How much of what we're talking about is long game versus immediate and more radical? What can we expect of ourselves? What should we expect of our audiences? I, I love answering a question like that with, the time is now. We should be, all of us, expecting more. And that should, be the re that should be our true political purpose, which is, and really younger people are way ahead of us on this, but like, why should they wait? Why should anyone wait? And I do think politicians and leaders of companies respond to the ambitions of people and for people being impatient. I do think impatience is one of our greatest qualities Absolutely. as Americans. Absolutely, it's a you virtue. Know, exactly, like we have to, what we have to do is we have to channel our impatience to, with not having what luxury items have, why not like really pushing the technology that's there right into the market. Like we have to be impatient and uh, so I'm all for like now, and there's just amazing talent out there. We have to just say, we're Americans, we're super impatient, and we gotta make it happen. And that would help. It would honestly help if there was more pull from the market right now. So we're not seeing enough pull from end users. So what does that mean for designers and manufacturers? We need to push. We need to get ahead of that consumer and say, we know that the world is going to need better life cycle products. We're going to get ahead of that right now. We're going to deliver and serve up to you through teaching and education, how to be more sustainable. So I think, but it's going to shift and it's going to shift pretty quickly and it will become a pull because everyone will be either required or desire to make less of an impact. Yeah. It reminds me of when you're, it's ASAP, urgent right now. Yesterday is too late. Like today is too late. This is a serious crisis. And it, it reminds me of the remarkable innovation during World War II. There was this huge threat. Car plants were converted into weaponized tank manufacturers within uh, three months' time, which is mind-boggling. We can achieve whatever if we put our minds to it, clearly. And so I think it's a combination, pull and push. We have to help to romanticize and seduce the audiences to recognize that this is a serious issue that we don't have a whole lot of time for. So that's part of it. And then we have to create those illustrations of what's possible now. And that's where I think the storytelling, science fiction, the Hollywood community to, to help 
visualize what this better future could look like or what this better future can be. But that's, those are, I think, the elements that I think. But clearly, we have the ability. Yeah, I think that what's interesting about the companies on the front edge of innovation is that they're forcing some of the sort of stalwart brands that we've all been living with for 50 years to step up their game. And I think that's one of the most encouraging things we're seeing, but the speed to market has to be increased. So the ESG space, companies are jumping into ESG reporting. We're doing our first report that launches next week. It is not easy to step up to the standard of GRI and the ESG level of reporting metrics, management, and tracking. And that is a best practice. And you have to jump in with both feet. We are going to get to the place where big developers are going to ask for your EPDs, your declare labels. They're going to ask for your ESG reporting standards. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Right? That's part of what lifts us can, all up. Can I add to that? There's a real movement in architecture and building called Design for Freedom, which is really looking at eradicating modern slavery in our built on our built environment. It's directly connected to what manufacturers and fashion designers have been doing, but it's never been done in building. Like, where's your gravel come from? Where it is where you may have a perfect plumbing fixture, but what about that PVC? What about so I think that really making people understand that if you don't know where a piece of stone's coming from, then someone who's not even an adult could have been working in a stone quarry, removing it, that there, that's an awareness issue that people would all agree we don't want to have in the built environment. So I do think that architecture has been and building construction being behind that, but we are joining other industries mm -hmm. in having standards and toolkits and ways to step it up. Yep, and ensure that we're doing the right thing across all those pillars. Yeah, and we can't, we can't be dependent on the political community to help drive this narrative. The large institutions in the private sector have nation state like power at this point. And I think it's, I think that we're, if we're going to wait for policymakers to help try to enforce these kinds of critical, mission critical ideas, we're, we're, we're not going to get there. I think it's going to be a combination of public-private partnership between institutions are helping to govern the direction of this planet, private sector, and then they will push the, at the government policy level. Thank you all for being here today talking about important and urgent issues that we are clearly needing to work on right now. I'd like to thank you for joining us today for this special edition of NYC by Designs the Mic. And thank again our guests, Claire Wise, Jonathan Cropper, and Laura Kohler for inspiring us with their commitments to innovation, sustainability, and the environment. Follow at NYC by Design on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and subscribe to the newsletter for the latest in New York City design.